Good morning, listeners. You're welcome to this week's Ag Report. I'm Jim Finn. Now, later on in the programme, I will be talking to John Lynch from DeVay Genetics. I will also be talking to Trevor Stanley, who has a workhouse museum in Dunnockmore. And my final guest this morning will be Brendan O'Connor from Tipperary Town. And Brendan is the brains behind Eco Green Resources, and that's solar for farms. But my first guest this morning is the Chagas Manager for County Tipperary, Donal, Donal Milan. Good morning, Donal, and thanks very much for joining us. Morning, Jim. A pleasure as always. OK, great to have you. Uh, back on the programme. Donald, a lot happening, isn't there, around uh, the farming scene in general? Plenty happening in farming, Jim. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose in our outfit, like, as well. Uh, you know, I suppose just in the last few days, you know, we had um, uh, maybe an updated forecast situation, outlook forecast from our global economy, people in Ashton Rye around uh, farming incomes and stuff like that. And I suppose uh, no surprise uh, you know, the, 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 the kind of a positive forecast, but you're on daring anyway, I suppose, for the year. And, um, uh, and equally, a lot of the other enterprises as well. But, you know, I suppose the, 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 the increase in costs and so forth have really probably hit the, um, uh, the, the lower returning enterprises stronger, we'll say the sheep, cattle, uh, and even the tillage, there's a huge increase there, but uh, it was still a good year in tillage. Uh, and I suppose a bit of good news around the pigs maybe then is the thing is starting to improve and, and mm-hmm. the forecast has continued to improve. There's a kind of fairly big fall off in supply, I gather, around uh, Europe and so forth. So uh, overall, not too bad. Um, and uh, as, as I said, uh, you know, the, the uh, on the dairying side, the um, uh, the, the, the meat price has, has outran the, mm-hmm. uh, has the um, uh, increase in costs. Yeah, and Donald, would you have concerns, you know, you're talking about, you know, the top 60% of farmers and maybe more that, uh, uh, you know, are well able to, uh, you know, outrun the cost. But what about the ones that are not that savvy? Well, I suppose it's kind of falling in by enterprise to some extent there, mm. Jim, you know, in terms of suppose, the meat price of dictating everything. Yeah. Uh, cattle prices are good, uh, you know, uh, but, mm-hmm. but as I said, the costs are impressive. So definitely if you're not uh, on top of the game there, uh, you, you could have your cost passing out your, uh, yeah. your, 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 but I suppose what a lot of people should be considering now, particularly in the dry stock side, uh, is the organics. Uh, mm-hmm. And certainly they are. I mean, you're probably aware there, we had a farm walk last week with 1,200 people at it, uh, at John Porcel's there in Bansha. Yeah. I suppose who would ever have thought you there's 12 other people coming to an organic farm market, you know, in the county. Yeah. Uh, but there's huge interest in it. And, um, yeah, you know, we're going to have a quite a, quite a number uh, moving into organics. And uh, maybe it's not too difficult to pick up uh, a nice bit of money, even in the supports and stuff, uh, before you start trading at all. Uh, you know, so um, well worth considering for an awful lot of uh, maybe the lower stocked, uh, dry stock farmers indeed they're probably the farmers you're recurring clear to you know I, that's why i'm taught i am i'd be very conscious that they wouldn't be in the top uh 20 of beef farmers they probably have an off-farm job but at the same time they would they wouldn't be taking all the advice to be getting from uh your men yeah. on uh you know on the ground and well 
Well, uh, you know, maybe just to, do, to hit that meat a small bit, just but then either the top or the bottom, I mean, that's probably not a great bit of describe. <laughs> but every farmer, uh, it just depends on any particular situation, maybe if the stocking rate suited uh, and so forth. And uh, one thing maybe to remember is uh, we always find in going into anything like organics or any of these things, you need to be, even the likes of once a day of milking, you need to be very, very good before you uh, consider any of those operations, you know. Uh, but certainly there's a huge increase in interest in it now. And... Uh, I said we're we're also appointing I'm appointing a, uh, an organic advisor very shortly now based in Clonmel, so there'll be a lot of support available to anybody considering uh, mm-hmm. going into uh, organics as well, Jim. You know. Yeah, and and am I right in saying, Donald, that the last scheme when it opened, it didn't fill completely, so we'd expect that this one would and very quickly. Well, it's weird, but there's a lot more money available mm-hmm. this time now, yeah. and uh, I think a lot will be taken up, I think, judging by the interest that we're meeting at the coal face now. I think there was a game-changer, the increase in sort of fertiliser prices, I think it's a game-changer, and mm-hmm. feed prices and stuff like that. So people have, are considering uh, things that maybe they might not considered before, you know. Yeah, fantastic. And fantastic to have 1,200 at that event. Joe Kelleher was on talking about it a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, moving on then from from that, you've had a fair few events around uh, the county recently. Yeah, maybe worth mentioning there, we yeah. had a lot of events. So, you know, so we have, you're probably aware we have a number of these signposts programs in conjunction with the co-ops. Yeah. Uh, and we've had a few very good farm walks uh, around on those and farmers are having a good look at all the issues around uh, sustainability in particular. Uh, we don't go into any one of them individually, but you know, there are all the issues around that. Farms are very much anxious to take those on board uh, and, and great attendance is at those. But maybe one that might be of interest to you there, uh, we had a big crowd during the week there. Um, we had a succession event. Yeah. Uh, it's called Transferring the Family Farm. Uh, we had that at the Abbey Court uh, in Nina with over 200 farm families attended that. Uh, getting advice around, you know, it was an opportunity for them to meet maybe as well as our own staff, solicitors and accountants and stuff like that, because there's a lot involved, as you know, and it's probably the biggest decision farmers ever made. They can be very staunch naked. But look, maybe one of the key messages out of that is, uh, I say the priority is go and make a will anyway, if anybody hasn't done it. Apparently, the research will show a lot of them haven't. Uh, and then I think when it comes to, you know, it does a kind of a process in building up to maybe transferring a farm it might take a couple of years it might mean a lot of kind of communication and consultation with family members and stuff like that because people's expectations uh, may well be uh, different and, and there's only one way to start it uh, and that is plenty good communication you know yeah and i think somebody said the other day uh, not everything has to be equal but everything has to be fair well, that's quite, that's very correct. And it is very important that all members of the family sit around that table when uh, that particular mm. discussion takes place, to be honest with you. What a good chairman, Jim. <laughs> well, you want to bring in a, a facilitator anyway, if not. Uh, yeah, well, they're available to witness. I, yeah. I'm quite sure, and it can be mm. one of your team as well. I would be well able to do that for somebody that was thinking of uh, passing yeah. on the farm. Other things that you have coming up, I know something else I'd like to run by you at the moment uh, before you maybe you mention anything else. And that is, of course, we have new schemes coming that are going to be tied uh-huh. uh, to the cap. And in particular, I suppose the one that most people are talking about at the moment is acres. So are you prepared yeah. for that? Uh, yes, Jim. Yeah, look, it's um, acres is, is, is part of the pillar two mm-hmm. uh, of the new cap reform. 
and there's 1.5 billion uh, set aside for it. Uh, it's a scheme over five years. Um, it's a little bit, I suppose, along the lines of the gloss that we had previously, and a lot of the farmers are wing gloss that would, would be probably candidates for this now as well. Uh, it's a five-year program, and expecting about 50,000 farmers into it. Uh, they won't be all going in this year. It's going to be two tranches. One, mm-hmm. one is this year. It's uh, just kind of uh, closing around mid-November. Maybe, maybe it might be a bit of an extension. Not sure of that. Um, and and then there'll be a tranche next year as well. And I suppose that maybe in general the big difference maybe from last year does more. It's more kind of a results-based uh, and involves. It's aimed at kind of improving the biodiversity, but there's um, uh, advisors being required to take photos and score cards and stuff to see what sort of progress is made around the whole biodiversity area, you know. And there's two sorts of breakdowns in it, Jimmy, of a general scheme and what they call a cooperation scheme. And the cooperation scheme is a kind of maybe particular area, be kind of the mountain areas, yeah. nobody's around the country. And uh, I think just someone brought to my attention there this morning, if there's any use to you, uh, I think there's a, maybe an information meeting for the, the knock-meal downs in Millery uh, on the 18th there at about 7 o'clock mm-hmm. uh, Millery Community Centre. So that might be of, uh, of yeah. interest maybe to some of your listeners there. Yeah, great, great, great things happening. There's no doubt at all about it. And I'm quite sure that uh, I'll be talking to you and to your team of Chagas in County Tipperary. Donald, another area that we might have concerns with is, is there enough of fodder on farms to get through uh, winter 22-23? Uh, yes, Jim, uh, hopefully there is. Uh, we, we did a survey there, a fodder survey back in June, uh, and I think at that stage we found it was about a 15% uh, surplus. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you've got an individual case. But as you know, <laughs> we've had a fantastic summer, a fantastic drought this summer. Uh, and, uh, you know, someone said the other day, it's, it, with climate change now, this is nearly coming every summer. Uh, so during, we'll say, it, hit, it particularly hit, we'll say, probably the southern half of the county here, uh, where there was long period, very long period, there was no growth, and very little growth, and uh, people fed a lot of uh, bale silage and stuff like that. So that surplus, I would say, Jim, is gone, and some people maybe might be, will be a bit tight um, going into the winter. And I think the whole bit of advice there on that one is just look, act, act early, don't wait until the problem gets... Uh, it gets too difficult. If you need to buy a bit of straw or you need to get in some ration early on in the year, that's the time to do it, you know. Right, so really you're encouraging people to do a father inventory at this particular stage, see what their requirements will be up to what they would normally finish the winter period and if they 100%. haven't enough to go out and buy. 100%, 100%, it's after out early, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, look at Donald, we'll leave it at that. So thanks ever so much for joining us this morning. That listeners was Donald Milan, who is the manager of Chagas in the county. And as always, Donald has been extremely generous with his time. Listeners, my next guest this morning is John Lynch. And John is with Devay Genetics. And we're going to talk a little bit about genetics and the breeding season that's gone by and one that's not too far away. Yeah, I suppose, Jim, thanks very much for having us on. Um, we're here in John Halley's today on a, a dairy beef open day, Thrive. Uh, us as Devay Genetics, we're partners with the Farmer's Journal, with, I suppose, a lot of other co-ops and that. We're all partners in this programme. We've supplied the calves to Thrive for the last five years, and it's great to see such a turnout today. We couldn't come here the last two years with COVID, so it's great to see the turnout today to see how the progeny are performing. And I suppose... From a duvet point of view, we're very happy going around and seeing that 
our progeny are performing very, very well. And that's testament to, I suppose, the dairy farmer that's using our semen, the way those calves are treated at birth, and the way they come onto this farm with John Halley's and are treated right through the slaughter. So I suppose the moral of the story here is that there is money in dairy beef if you use the correct genetics, you know. Right, now, and if somebody listening then to us this morning, John, what advice would you give them, or what bulls have you got in the way that are ideal for this type of system that is being rolled out here on the Halley farm? Sure, I suppose, Jim, we're very fortunate that we have some of the top bulls in the country in the dairy beef sector. We have a bull, Kale Kill Prime Lad. He's the top Angus we have on Dairy Beef Index. He's a huge seller for us this year. And why he's so popular is because he's very easy calving, he's extremely short in gestation, and yet he's positive on carcass traits. So I suppose it's those things you want to look at from the dairy farmer, and yet the beef farmer is very happy to buy a calf off of those by Prime Lad. The other bull we have is Edenvale Ivor, a limousin. So you're getting more carcass. Again, a bull for dairy cows. Used on third, fourth, fifth calvers, no problem. And yet you're getting these super performing progeny. So I suppose the thing for a dairy farmer to look at is, is that you can use different bulls on different parity cows. The thing for the beef farmer is you want the best bull used on all the cows mm. to get profitable dairy beef calves. Right, so... Now, one of the, I suppose, deficiencies in the system at the moment is that the farmer that's buying the calves at, what, maybe... 21 days or... 21, three three weeks or whatever the case may be. He or she, they don't know what the the breeding or the the dam... They know about the dam, but they don't know about the bull. Yeah, and I suppose that's a piece of work needs to be done, Jim, and I suppose you see more and more farm-to-farm sales on calves because people want that information. They want to see the cows. They want to see how the calves are being treated. And to be fair, as the vast majority, dairy farmers are top-class at rearing calves. They are doing a great job. Mm-hmm. And the people buying the calves are entitled to all that. Like They're entitled to know what the calves are buying. They're entitled to know what they're buying because if they're not the right breeding or the right type of calf, they're not going to be profitable. And that's the big... Yeah. challenge for the industry yeah and from your pr- perspective then we all know that the dairy man is going to look for a high EBI particularly for uh, breeding you know, his replacements yes. breeding his replacements and to be fair in the last few years Jim we've seen a switch that they are the dairy farmer is more switched on to the beef bulls he's using he does want to use the better bulls and he is trying to improve the thing you know slowly but it is catching on and I suppose with the use of sex semen and we see that on a rapid increase this year again there's more and more beef sales happening and it's just a lot of it is angus there's a lot of angus being used in dairy cows different parts of the country but down in the real duvet area tip kilkenny waterford it's a lot of angus a lot of hereford and then as you go further west you see more limbs and more belgian blue yeah depending on herd size as well the bigger herds tend to use more the traditional breeds and the man with 70, 80, the traditional herd, he's willing to use that blue and he's willing to, he wants a real good calf, you know. He yeah. maybe has more mass in the calf at the yeah. end of the day. And 
from your uh, records that you have in the bay at the moment, uh, you know, are there many farmers then would be a bit like a farm at home in Balnahal, where every animal is 100% uh, British region, there's no uh, a, 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 any other genetics in that animal. You know, we've been very, very successful with yes. regard to sale, sales uh, into beef herds yes. or keeping them at home ourselves. Of course, Jim, there is. There, there's still that cohort of 100% pure Frisian. And we're still committed to that. We're still buying out crosses. We're still trying to bring in different blood for that. Trying to get easy calving bulls for that. Um, but yeah, it's in the Dovey area. It's in yeah. Kilkenny. It's in Tipperary. It's in Waterford. That some people are still 100% Frisian and doing a fantastic job. They have a super beef calf and they're very, very versatile cow. You know what I mean? Like they're breeding you a profitable beef animal and yet mm -hmm. they're fit to supply what you need for the tank. So, How then is the whole business going? Our business in the Bay is very, very positive. Um, big plans for the future. I suppose we're at another development of bull housing. We now have accommodation for 150, 160 bulls in the Bay. There's a lot of work has been done in the Bay over the years. I suppose if you go back to the olden times when people were in for bull walks, they probably wouldn't recognise the place, even though everything is kept as it was. You know, The house has been restored properly. Uh, huge investment. place is looking well. Great atmosphere working in the Bay. It's like home from home for anyone that comes inside there. As you know yourself from coming myself, there, Jim. Yeah. And I suppose that goes out to all the team, whether it's the bullyard, the lab, and everyone is a part of it. And how, about, how, how are the exports of semen going? Exports are growing year on are year. They? Huge demand for Irish beef semen worldwide and Irish genetics, which is great to see. Uh, mainly Angus, Belgian Blue, Limousin. Huge market for cemental semen to Turkey, China, all those countries. So look at we're in a good place as a company and I suppose it's our responsibility now to drive things on and keep it going. And uh, needless to mention, you have plans to drive it on. Uh, oh, you don't course, have to tell of me. Of course, every, <laughs> we're doing something new every year. This year we did a, a concept of three bulls in the one straw, oh. triple semen, yeah. and we were blown away by the amount of semen we sold. So that mm -hmm. the sperm is competitive in the straw and that conception rate is up from one bull in the straw. So... We have seen it work in other countries with a lot of export demand for it, so we produced it and it sold very well in the Irish market. So that's something new, something different that wasn't on offer before. And John, are you importing any semen then for, uh, it's, it's, for specialised clients maybe? It's becoming less and less, Jim, because it's was in the dairy world. People are using a majority of EBI. Yes, mm. we have an imported catalogue of Holstein bulls. Of course, we have Norwegian Red, Mount Belliard. Mm -hmm. See a huge increase in Fleckvi. Oh. We've become an agent for a German company in Fleck, on Fleckvi Genetics and a big increase in that. Um, Norwegian Red is stable, Mount Belliard is stable. Yeah, and, and of course EBI is our big market in the dairy mm. thing. We have the pure Frisian and the beef. I think we've as good a genetics in Ireland as anywhere in the world. And we have odd imported bulls. But as a whole, we prefer to have the bulls ourselves, you know, so... Right, and your main source then for buying bulls, uh, you know, I can go back into the 60s when they were running across to uh, the UK to buy, you know, the Reading sales every year to buy a British regions. Uh, where do you go for Sure, the, the, the black and white bulls yeah. all come from Irish dairy farms, farms. whatever is bought into the Vey. Typical high EBI farms, high EBI bulls. And I suppose what we're concentrating on is buying bulls from better cows. It's good classification, 
good solids, good records behind them. On the beef side of things, Jim, I suppose we do go to Belgium for the Blue Bulls. Blue Bulls. Uh, we go to the UK a bit for Limbs and Bulls, a little bit to France. But in general, it's the ordinary Irish breeder. Right. Okay? And for me, there's more of a kick out of some man in West Cork or Mayo that was never seen in his life, and you go to him and he has a bull. And you put this bull, and Kill Kill Prime mm. Lad is a typical example of that. Bantry in County Cork, seen him on, on, on a database that he was there, rang the breeder, yeah, he's a nice calf, went down to see him, liked him, bought him. This year, next spring, there could be 20,000 calves registered off into the dairy herd. So, so, like, there's a great kick in us, yeah. in that for us, you know, to see your work going on to be successful. No, they're not all success stories. Of course. But there is a great kick in that for us. As a company, I personally myself, that's my job as the beef side of the house. But like, and it's to get the freedom to do those things, to go on and take a chance in that time, you know. And, and then we support Irish sales. We yeah. bought top price Charlie Bull at a sale last year in the country. Yeah. A very high priced Angus Bull. And, and I think from a way point of view now, the, the big positive I see is that We've a lot of the breed societies coming to us that want to invest money in our breeding programme. So the Charlies are on board, the Limousins, Herefords, Angus Producer Group. So like, it's great to see those people that they have faith in us to go and help them to improve their breed. Progeny testing still going on? Progeny testing will be... This is a great progeny test here, of course. Uh, that, that's like, you know, struck me, yeah. Uh, this is like the old Duvet <laughs> system <laughs> of old that all the calves were bought in and then they were slaughtered. Like, and, and I think the beauty about this is you can see everything with your own two eyes. Yeah. You can pop into John Halley at any stage and see what's going on. And it's a super thing, you know. And the cattle are being looked after to a T, but they are performing well. And everything is being treated the same, so it's a very, very fair reflection on what's happening really you know anybody listening to us this morning and they want to make contact with the VA how did they do it tell them if you want to contact the VA you'll get us on the phone it's 0504-21755 and with a website www.devaygenetics.ie John Lynch thanks very much from Deve Genetics listeners a few weeks ago I made a trip up to Dunnock Moor in County Leash not too far away from our borders here in Tipperary, where they have beautiful museum and tea rooms and all kinds of things. Never knew it existed. And I was fortunate enough to catch up with Trevor Stanley, who is minding or the caretaker or the dog's body, as far as I can see, for this wonderful development here in Dunnock Moor. And he does it on a voluntary basis. And Trevor and I go back a few years, don't we, Trevor? We certainly do, I suppose, in that whole local development <laughs> and leader development <laughs> and all that area as well, too, so we have. Uh-huh. Well, in fairness, no, you're very welcome to Dunmore Workhouse and Agricultural Museum. Mm-hmm. And what you're, this, what you're here in Dunnock Moor now is a post-famine Irish workhouse. There's only three or four of them surviving in the whole country. We have another one in Pertumna, and you would see remnants of it in Kilmacthomas as well. But in Tipperary, you would have anything from five to eight, I, I don't know the exact figure, yeah. of workhouses that were in uh, during and post uh, the famine period, from 1840. And the workhouses uh, existed right up until the 1920s. Our nearest workhouse here on the, on the edges of Tipperary was obviously Ross Grey. 
In Leash, we would have had Mount Melik and Ross and Abilix. And we're a post-famine workhouse, so we didn't open until 1853. And we took the overflow of inmates from Dunnock, or from uh, Ross Grey yeah. workhouse and Abilix workhouse. And now, as you can see, these are original good Irish limestone <laughs> buildings. Very impressive when you, when you walk in here or drive in yeah. here. And uh, this site uh, looked after 400 inmates in the uh, post-famine uh, period. Both male and female, I believe. Male, female, boys and girls. One of the strict rules within the Irish workhouse system was segregation. So where you're sitting at the moment, there was a building joining the boys' dormitory and the girls' dormitory block. And that was the probationary area. So you, you stayed there for a night or two until you were checked by the doctor. Yeah. If you were well, your clothes were taken from you, you were showered, scoured, and segregated into four distinct different groups. Girls 2 to 15, boys 2 to 15, and they're the two buildings that we have on display yeah. within our museum. We have the women's quarters and they could hold on to their babies up to two years of age and the men's quarters and you can see there are two big three-storey buildings. And if you weren't well, you were put into the infirmary at the back. Of course, if you didn't make it in the infirmary, right, we had the graveyard behind that again. On the back. Now, okay. So these buildings now have been renovated. It has become a tourist attraction. And I believe the room I'm just after walking out of, the part of the building, uh, is used for many purposes. Many purposes. Well, it's the main dining hall. Yeah. Now, obviously, uh, that's where food was prepared. Yeah. Food was eaten in silence and, uh, and that. But now the large main dining hall, we've run music concerts. We can hold 175 people. We've had book launches. Mm. And, and we can snake a few pound oh, out of it. We put it to a good cause. And quite rightly so. So, so that's the use of this, this building the dining that, hall, that, that yeah. you kindly yeah. gave us a lovely cup of tea. A lovely cup of tea. I was, was trying to uh, offer a famine cup of tea, but no, we, we, we kept it no, modern so with, know, with some light biscuits. I, I, I thought you'd be giving us salty water, but <laughs> anyway, Trevor, the girls there, the 2 to 15 or whatever it yeah. is that you mentioned, uh, that now is the Agricultural Museum. Yes. Now, the original floorboards that the yeah. girls stepped or slept on are there, yeah. uh, but we have an agriculture and household collection, all donated from farmers and families throughout the community uh, there in the last 15 to 20 years. In the boys' dormitory in Block, we interpret the workhouse story, and there we've whitewashed the walls, so we have to what they, they were originally. The buildings are kept bare, there was a large room there where 50 to 70 boys would have slept on. And it wasn't built for comfort. It was built to keep it as cold as possible, to allow as much air circulate to keep disease down. Right. And Jim, what were they doing in COVID times in schools? Opening Open the windows, windows. allowing the fresh air in to yeah. keep disease down. Now, no old principle. Were the buildings then themselves, were they built in the 1850s? Yes, uh, right. There was a, a builder engaged to, yeah. to, to, to build this. It cost £4,754 in <laughs> old, old money, oh, right? Right, right? The builder, unfortunately, went bust after the construction of this because he extended over his contract period. Right. And all this beautiful limestone that you see here came from a quarry 
just about a mile up the road and presumably had to be all drew down with uh, horse and cart and all that sort of stuff because they hadn't worked out high max or they hadn't worked out diggers no, or big no. tractors hundreds. things that you and I be used to well now. sure <laughs> what they call it that we're rare to <laughs> right. but as I said they didn't that, even it, have a grey Fergie did not, they not even a grey Fergie uh, what they got it was the old horse draft mare yeah. and, 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 and and she pulled uh, everything down yeah. and around the place like you know? yeah because they're lovely old stone buildings and uh, you still see uh, I suppose the marks of the where uh, the building was taken away. Yes. Uh, your holding area that you, that you talk about. Yes. Earlier in, in the interview, and in the interpretive centre now, have you got high tech interpretation, or is it pictures and uh, somebody well, like your good self to come in and tell us all about it? Well, first of all, we we'll tell everyone the story anyway. <laughs> yeah, of course. But uh, with the benefit of uh, funding from Forge Ireland, uh, we actually have an introductory video in seven different languages. Great. Uh, now, I often say that the staff can understand me better in Mandarin Chinese than right. they can in English. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have now, just after getting uh, securing yeah. uh, grant aid from the Heritage Council, because obviously these are two-storey buildings, Building. but people who are unable to climb these stairs that the children and the men and women uh, did of years ago, uh, we're, we're actually just starting a project where we do this 360 degree video oh, yeah. so that a person who's not able to climb the stairs yes. can with an iPad yeah. or with a headset can actually scroll and look at what they're missing upstairs. It's part of our disability policy. Perhaps Obviously, so. we need about 200,000 to put <laughs> a lift into each building, which isn't going to happen. Which isn't going to happen. Uh, in, the near, in the near future. But this is sort of adapting to the needs, following an audit that we, we, we got funding so from. So both stories of both of the buildings that we're talking about are, are in use? Yes. Oh, yes, because you have the original floorboards that the boys slept on. Yeah. You have the air holes on the plinth where they slept on that allowed air yeah, circulate under, under the floorboards the floor where, they, where they slept. So, no, it's, it's as originally as intact as you're going to, uh, to meet. And it is a message. It's like uh, mm. it's a message for people, you know, of life uh, that was... Right, yeah. uh, it's not a happy story, oh, no. but it's, it is a, a very important story right. and very important to our, the story of Ireland and its Irish people. Now, I do know that this particular building where you gave us the cup of tea, you got a bit of a leader grant to do that uh, sure. way back <laughs> when there was a lot of money in the leader programme. Well, as I always say, God bless leader. <laughs> in fairness, we were one of the few projects in the whole country that got half a million euros. Now right. the maximum grants, I think, is 150 or 200,000. Yeah. But uh, what do you call We got uh, half a million to restore the dining hall right. and uh, to its original glory because it had been gutted to produce butter by the cooperative in the 1920s, 30s and 40s. And uh, now, obviously, you can see where the porter's room is. Uh, there was an internal window so that a staff member always had to supervise the women uh, preparing the food so that they weren't eating it or stealing it. All windows are over uh, six foot high uh, so that they couldn't look out at their little darling in the yards either side. It was a cruel time, wasn't it? Tough times. Yeah, really now, OK, you have residents here for two to three months. They're flying over my head here. I've never seen as many Swifts in my life. So, uh, 
uh, in fairness, uh, I didn't know the difference between a house martin, a swallow, oh, and a swift. Weird. But these right? are swifts. Yeah. And these are definitely swifts. And apparently they come up from South Africa and they land, they stay in the air the whole time apparently, uh, but they land, what do you call it, when they're hatching. Thanks. And uh, Birdwatch Ireland, yeah. right, put up a couple of of um, uh, swift nests. Right. You can see them there in the corner. And there's a sounder yeah. that would encourage, because swifts are colonial birds. Yeah. But as soon as the swifts arrived, we actually realised that we have... I, I, I was counting 20 and 30 of them there. They were just milling around in, 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 in gangs and groups. Uh, and I'd say we were probably, we were probably disturbing them uh, as we were looking at the insects and stuff like that in a water sample on the, on the yeah, table yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. But it's such a beautiful evening Absolutely. and they're enjoying themselves as and much as we're enjoying ourselves. And they're still flying around and they're, they're yeah. having a great time and yeah. we're running up to what? Uh, 20 to 10. 20 to 10. Yeah, and if you want to come about another hour or so, we can give you a little bit of education on our bats. I'm sure. We have, I'm sure I could. Uh, again, on the restoration of it, there was obviously bat studies, into, uh, and there was four. There's four different varieties of bats here. Okay, last question. Right. Very important. Uh, somebody listening to the two of us this morning, and they want to come here. What do they have to do? Basically, we're open Monday to Friday, nine to five, uh, all year round. Uh, we're also uh, open during the summer months uh, on um, Saturdays and Sundays, two to five, right? Oh. And we'll give everyone a, a full guided tour. Uh, if you look up www.dunamoremuseum.ie, yeah. yeah. uh, you'll probably see my number at the end of it. Right. Uh, and uh, you're more than welcome uh, anytime you're passing the gate. Well, there you are now, listeners, if you do want to take a little trip outside of County Tipperary and you're only just over the border uh, here in Dunnockmore, you will definitely get an education and I sincerely hope that you're lucky enough that you can meet Trevor because he's the man that will, that has all the local information. Thank you very much, Trevor, for having a chat with me. You're very welcome, Jim, and we're delighted to have you here. Listeners, I met Bernard O'Connor of Eco Green Resources on the County Enterprise Board stand at Ploughing. Bernard, you have a very interesting concept in there. Very interesting, yeah. So, solar photovoltaic is the, is the big thing now. Yeah. Okay, so, explain it to me. Tell me about it. Uh, you know, every- well, basically, it's simply for generating electricity. And, I mean, obviously, it's a big, big thing now in, in, in the agricultural sector, yeah. especially with grants and everything now that are there and there's... There's, much, there's more and more incentives there coming down the line for farmers to actually invest in solar. So, um, you know, I think it's actually, it, it, it definitely, if not this year, definitely next year. I know a lot of farmers are taking up in it now, and we, have, we are working with a number of farmers as it is. But I think 2023 is going to be an absolutely huge year for, um, for solar in farming, I think. I mean, there's massive initiatives there now. And, and Bernard, is it the farmer's market that... that- market you're looking to get into? Oh yeah, of course, yeah. the agricultural sector is big, would be a big sector for us. I mean, we're based in the middle of Tipperary, so why wouldn't we be? You know? Right, so, okay, yeah. in Tipperary town. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, because uh, every town you drive to now, there's uh, something up someplace, some fellow oh, yeah. that's advertising solar. So I'm just wondering, everybody has to find a niche in that market, so you think that the agricultural niche is the, the one to go for? 
Well, again, as I said, there's, there's so many incentives there now yeah. for farmers to make the investment. As I said, the grants are there through the TAMS. Yeah. I know the TAMS is a bit of a, a navigational thing, yeah, but, but the thing is, it's still it's there. The grants are very, very attractive. You've actually low-interest loans now, which are green loans as well. So if it's something that, you know, financing is required. And I mean, and now with the price of electricity, I mean, you know, to be fair, it's an absolute no-brainer now. You know, I mean, you're looking at potential paybacks, depending on the size of the system. Yeah. And depending on the way the system is constructed, you know, you're looking at paybacks, you know, of, of you know, three years and sometimes less, depending on the grants. So when you look at it in that context, and again, depending on the size of the system, you know, it will have a massive impact on your actual annual electricity bills. Now, of course, it's not going to take a farmer off-grid. You know, you're still going to be paying for electricity. But the whole idea where you have to look at solar is you've got to look at the impact it's going to make every year, year on year, for the next 25 years plus. And when you look at it that way, you are going to save an enormous amount of money. Right. Now, OK, we know now that a farmer can put up to 50 kilowatts uh, as far on sheds at the moment. Again, going that way. It's going that way. You see, yeah. we're still a way, we're still a ways away from that in a lot of a lot of sectors. For example, probably eighty percent of farmers have single phase supplies, right? That's correct. So fifty kilowatts is not going to happen there, right. because that's the, the fifty kilowatts only applies to where you've got a three phase supply. And again, that only applies even with three phase. You have to have sufficient capacity on the system coming into the farm to allow you to put in fifty kilowatts. Now, then, does the other argument then in that would be farmers will argue and say that okay during the daytime we're producing the most when we need it the least you know yes so um what happens that's an ongoing thing with we say with, with, the, with the department where there the initiatives are coming down the line and that's why i'm saying 2023 where there will be the payback as in like the feed-in tariffs for farmers to send in their surplus into the grid but right now, the incentives are there where basically you're, you, you, you make the investment based on, of course, accessing the grants, if you can, and obviously using batteries. So you're able to charge the batteries during the day, use it in the evening time when you're milking, charge it again during the night and the night rate, and again use it in the morning. So you're maximising the efficiency of the system all the time, all year round. And in the summertime, then you've got so much solar during the summertime, you know, it's, it's constantly being used. But again depending on the size. So if you've got like 50 kilowatts up on a roof and you're just a normal farmer, yes, of course, during the daytime, you're going to have masses of surplus that you're going to do nothing with and it's going to be wasted. But if you tailor the system size to your your current requirements, then it's win, 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 win. Right. And then you mentioned that most farmers have single phase. Yeah. What's the maximum they can pull up? Again, based on regulations, mm. it's six kilowatts, but you can actually oversize in terms of system size. As long as your output is no more than six kilowatts on a single phase supply, you can put up to about nine kilowatts. On a three phase supply, you can put in up to about 15 kilowatts. But then with a three phase supply, depending on your actual allocation in terms of your, your input from the grid, you can go up to 50 kilowatts. Right. But okay. on a single phase, you can't. All these regulations and the fact that, okay, a lot of farmers will not have three phase, yeah. that's a certainty. Is that going to hinder you in expanding your business? 
Not really, because again, you know, we're not we're not we're up there promoting the product oh, based on yeah. self-consumption. We're not right. trying to we're 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 not saying to people you're selling it back to the grid and you're going to make a load of money. We're not actually selling. We're, that's not our that's not our marketplace. Okay. Where our marketplace is 100% self-consumption where possible. That's the key right, okay. that we apply. So and any farmer is buying six you know six kilowatt okay. system or nine kilo, which say nine kilowatts based on single phase, 15 kilowatts based on three phase will be in the situation of 100% self-consumption. You know, right, so okay. there is no question of exporting. Right. You know, yeah. when the whole three-phase issue is resolved in due course, then of course farmers can look to expand. Because again, the great thing about solar, you can start small and grow large. You're not restricted. If you put in a, a small system today, it doesn't mean you can't add to it. You can add to it multiple and multiple at times, no problem. And how much battery power then? Your, your, your system is based on battery power, the storage. Well, not necessarily. Yeah. But I mean, we recommend battery, battery because again, to get the efficiencies out of the system, that's where the battery comes into play. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's the thing. So I mean, generally, our recommendation would be to put in at least ten kilowatts of battery on a, on a single phase supply, if you can. And again, there is the investment on batteries, and they are expensive. But again. The, are the, incent- the incentives are there again in the TAMS, but again, not massively on the battery side, right. unfortunately. But you have to look at the longer, you have to look at the bigger picture and the longer term, you know, with batteries, the efficiencies of batteries, how you can utilize them. And that's how batteries pay for themselves, you know. So the batteries are being used, as you quite rightly said at the beginning of this interview. You get your electricity into the battery during a good day, and then you use it uh, for milking at night time or cooling. Cooling, yeah, whichever, yeah. Which is, of course, very heavy on electricity Of course it is, yeah. And then again, you charge it again during the night. Now, I know farmers will have a night rate electricity probably up to maybe 7 a.m. in the morning. But you still utilize the batteries during the night. You charge the battery during the night to actually, so that battery kicks in after 7 o'clock in the morning when you need it, you know, so. And would there be much charging with no sun? No sun well, you see, well, you see, the thing is, solar doesn't work on sunlight. Right. Solar works, solar photovoltaic, I should say, works yeah. on daylight. Yeah. The more light, like, obviously, yeah. if there's cloudy, yes, there's not as much light. Right. If there's no cloud, there is loads of light, right. you know. But the longer the day, the more production. You know, and that's the the great thing. So we had a great summer this year, now, for example, in terms yeah. of it was pretty dry and we had a lot of good bright days. And even now, still, you know, today is not a bad day. Well, not bad. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Those of us who have been coming to ploughing for years. Yeah, I know you don't uh, actually. We, no, you won't rely on the weather anyway. We keep looking up at the sky. Yeah, yeah. I've been uh, here a couple of times uh, when it was uh, raining. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how long are you in business now? We only started out actually in 2017, so we're actually okay. we're we're relatively um, new yeah, beginners yeah. in this. And you're one of the winners with Tipperary. Uh, yeah, we were we, we were very fortunate to be selected by the the Enterprise Board to represent the County of Tipperary, which were very very you know we're very yeah. obviously we're delighted to do so, of and course. very impressed the fact that we were selected. You know yeah. we weren't we weren't expected to be selected to be honest. Well, it's a competition, isn't it? Really? Well, it is a kind of a competition. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's a great it's it's a great honour for us to be here representing Tipperary. So you know. Yeah. Uh, especially in you know, especially in the enterprise village. So which yeah. you know, there's all these small SMEs in here, and they're all that lovely products, and you know, and some of them, you know, to be fair, well, some of the products are absolutely amazing. Yeah, well, yours is amazing as well, may I say? Somebody listening to us this morning, how can they make contact with you if they're interested in well, what you're after saying? Well, the very the simplest way to contact me would be on the on the website www.egr.ie. That's the simplest way. And because all the links are there, 
to get me a contact or they can phone me. And my, my mobile is 086-606-1227. Okay, well, look at Bernard. Thanks very much for having a chat with JPFM. Yeah, thanks a million. That, listeners, is AgriPort for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join me at the same time next week for another AgriPort on Tip FM. Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock. And after that, Eamon Dewar presents Down Your Way.